morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. And uh, we're going to be beginning a new series this morning. So if this is your first time with us, if you're visiting for the first time, this is a great morning to be with us because we're starting something new. If we haven't met yet, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's my privilege this morning to share with you a little bit out of God's Word. Um, and so we're starting this new series that's called The Poverty Gospel. And the tagline there is, is good news from Jesus for us. But that's a little bit of a spoiler, so I'm, I'm sorry I put that up on the, on the front end. The, the poverty gospel. Why the poverty gospel? Um, a couple of different reasons. I hope by the end of our service this morning you'll have a little bit of a grasp of understanding. But we, we may be familiar with this, this term that's kind of popular today that's called the prosperity gospel. Has anybody heard that word thrown around, the prosperity gospel? So the prosperity gospel, one, I'll define the term for you. Gospel actually just means good news. So, so gospel is a translation of a Greek word that just meant good news. It's usually an announcement. It's usually a big proclamation that they make with trumpets that a battle has been won. So when you think of an army returning from battle, they, they have this big parade, and they, they tell everybody the good news, hey, we won the battle. So you don't have to like, keep hiding in your farmhouses or anymore. We took care of the bad guys. That's usually what the good news, the gospel presentation was. But Jesus comes along and says, hey, I've also got good news that I want to share with you, but I, you, you're gonna, it's going to take a minute for you to understand what I mean. And, and the prosperity gospel is one that says that God, like, God is, if you come to God and you submit your life to God, he's going to give you all of your wildest dreams, and your life is going to be easy, and you're always going to be able to get eight hours of sleep, and your bills are always going to be paid, and, 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 and everything's going to work out perfectly for you exactly the way that you want it to go. You're going to be prosperous all the time if you follow God. And the message that Jesus gives is good news, but it isn't that message. And so I'd like for us to take a look at his message, and his message actually is more characterized by poverty than prosperity, which makes us a little bit uncomfortable. It makes me a little bit uncomfortable. So we've got a lot of, of things to cover this morning. We're going to deal with some real, real-life issues. But I'd like to begin this morning by praying together. And I'd like to invite you to pray together with me what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And if you're not familiar with it or you haven't ever prayed it before, I'm going to put it on the, up here so that you can read along and pray with us. And um, let's, let's do this together. Would you pray with me? <clears throat> Our Father in heaven hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So if you'd like to open up your Bibles, this is going to be helpful to you if you open up the Bibles. And if you uh, would like one, there should be a blue one stuffed under the chair in front of you. And if you open up that blue Bible to page 1070, where are we going to be? 72, 1072. Um, we're going to be reading together from Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. Luke chapter 4 in verse 14. It's on page 1072 in the blue Bibles if you'd like to follow along. And it's going to be helpful for you to do so.
Luke chapter 4, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 14. I'm just going to read a couple of verses to get us rolling. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. I'm going to pause there. So we are entering into a, uh, we're kind of opening the story in the middle. Did you notice that that sentence began with an and? So we're we're starting this this story in Luke chapter 4, but that means that there were three other chapters beforehand. So if you'd like to catch up, this is actually a discussion that we've been having over the last couple of weeks in the series that we called Setting Life in Order. And so if you'd like to go back and listen to it, it's on our website or it's on our podcast or on our YouTube page, all of those things. Um, but to catch up. But just to give you a brief summary, if I can, in less than 30 seconds. <clears throat> the first three chapters of Luke is God setting up the biggest change that history has ever, ever done. Uh, he, he sends his own son. God steps into history and inserts himself into the story. And he had a whole bunch of moving pieces that it took a while to get things prepared. But he set everything up and he sent his son Jesus And we concluded that series last week by looking at Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. See, see, Jesus was baptized by John the baptizer, and and God spoke out of heaven and said, this is my son. You've been looking for him since he was born. This, This one's the one. I'm pleased with him. And God essentially painted a big red target on his back, and the devil came after him and met him in the wilderness. And they had words, exchanged words. So there's this conflict between Satan and Jesus, and it's not like they're equal, um, but they are having this conflict, and and Jesus essentially walks away from it. Satan's coming at him with all he's got, and Jesus is like, yeah, it's fine, whatever. But, I mean, I got tons of respect for somebody who can do that after not eating for 40 days. So we're coming off of being in the wilderness and having this conflict Uh, with satan and he returned in the power of the spirit to galilee so he had gone away into the wilderness and he was now coming back into a little bit of uh of of society but the temptation had actually ended in jerusalem in the big city so so when jesus is done having his conflict with satan they actually are done in the middle of the big city and so Jesus has now been set apart. He's, an, he's ready to begin his ministry. And he's like, all right, where's the best place for me to begin my preaching ministry? Out in the country. I'm going back to Galilee, which I think is fascinating. He goes back to Galilee, and, and people start talking about the things that he's preaching. They, this guy, there's something different about this Jesus character. And a good report went through all the surrounding co- country, and he taught in their synagogue, being glorified by all so synagogues um a little bit of a different thing it's actually really close to what we do on a sunday morning but they would meet on a saturday um the the jews in the area would meet on a saturday they'd all get together and they'd sit uh, in a square or in a rectangle and they would sing songs together they would read scripture together um, from the different portions of of the old testament the hebrew scriptures and at the end of the reading, somebody would give up and they'd give a little dialogue. They would preach and then they'd close in prayer and, and, and go home. So th- this was their regular Sabbath thing. Their Saturday deal was they'd get together and they'd have this worship service. And that was how Jesus started his preaching. 
he would go around to the different uh, the different synagogues and he would show up and 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 he would he would do some some preaching, and he was going around not in the big city, not to all of the massive crowds, but out in the country to normal folks. And 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 began his preaching and teaching ministry in that way, and he goes home to Nazareth. He goes to the place where he grew up. <clears throat> and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up and read. So here is Jesus' first recorded sermon in the book of Luke. Will you read it together with me? In Luke chapter 4, I'm going to begin in verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. I'm going to pause there because we need to talk about a couple things that are happening here. So, <clears throat> first thing that you'll notice is that they handed him a scroll. I do not have a scroll. Um, we tend to bind things in books now, but the technology that they had at that point was long, 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 long pieces of paper with sticks on both ends. So if you wanted to find a particular passage, instead of flipping pages, which is what we're used to in books, they would actually be rolling. You imagine like rolling the two sticks in order to get the paper to go across to where it needed to be. It was a little bit more uh, labor-intensive than flipping pages in a book. But they hand him a scroll, and he apparently stands up in front of everybody and he's like, He's looking for a particular passage. And he zeroes in on this passage that we read together this morning out of the prophet Isaiah. So this was written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. And this was, this was a promise that the Jewish people at that time would have held very, very dear. And so they, their ears, I think, would have perked up when he began reading this. Like, all right, we get a good sermon today. This isn't all fire and brimstone. Like, this is encouraging stuff because we're oppressed by a government that, 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 that takes uh, advantage of us. And, and we just want to get back to the place where we can be in charge of our own lives. And so he's, he reads, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops. When we read it this morning, where Jesus puts a period, there was a comma. He stops before he says, and to proclaim the Lord's coming judgment. He left off this last half of the verse, which I think is absolutely fascinating, the implications of which are, are wide and deep, and I don't have the time, if I'm going to get to the other things I need to get to this morning, to talk about that. But he stops his quote early, 
and sits down. And Luke does this thing. If ever you're reading the book of Luke and Luke says everybody's gaze was fixed on him or everybody looked intently at him, like Luke uses people's eyes and their attention to focus in on like something big is about to happen. And so everybody in the synagogue has locked eyes with Jesus. They're all, what is he going to say? They're on the edges of their seat. And he says, the scriptures Oh, wow, awesome. Like, he's, he's, what's, what, is, what does that mean? What is he going to do? Like, is he going to go in, back into Jerusalem and kick out the Romans? Is he going to set us up a new kingdom? Like, what, what's, what's this guy getting ready to do? Because this, this, this is Joe's kid, right? Actually, they do say that. Continue reading with me. The, in the second half of verse 22, they all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? We know this guy. He, we grew up, and there was, there was some, contra- like, there was, there were some things that happened when he was born, and we just kind of overlooked that. I mean, he's a good kid. He, we can't, we blame his parents, and, you know, Joe's not around anymore, and he's taking care of his mom. He's a good kid. Can't believe he's preaching like this. What is it that he's saying? He's saying, look, I've got some good news. I've got a gospel that I want to share with you. But here's where I'd like for us together today, this morning, to pause and think about what it is he said. I've got good news, but there are some eligibility requirements. It's going to be good news for a certain set of people. And who are the people that it's good news for? There's people who are poor. There's people who are captive. There's people who are blind, and there's people who are oppressed. So if we've walked with Jesus, if we, if we have any kind of faith at all, if we've been in church at all, and we go, yeah, I, I love Jesus, and I love, and I believe in the gospel, and it's good news, these eligibility requirements of being poor and oppressed, and for it to be good news, like, is that me? Is Jesus' message for me? because I took a shower this morning and I had soap and I ate breakfast and I had a, a protein shake and that stuff ain't cheap and I've got more than one pair of shoes and I drove a car here this morning and, and the roads were all paved. Am I a poor person? Is Jesus' message for me? Am I in bondage? Because I didn't ask anybody's permission to be here this morning. I'm not really all that concerned that somebody's going to come in and drag me out today. Am I oppressed? And I can say kind of tongue-in-cheek as a white male, of course I'm not. So is this for me? What is he keying in on? I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, have you guys ever been to a spring and, and you, you go to the spring and it's really pretty, the water's clear and you kind of look at it and go, oh great, like this is awesome and then you get out into it and you're like, oh my gosh this is way deeper than I thought it would and then they tell you like, oh well actually the cavern's like thousands of feet deep and you would die if you tried to get to the bottom. Have you ever, has anybody ever experienced that? We have these in Florida. <clears throat> This passage is a spring where you look at it and go, oh, well, I can see the things. 
but it goes deep. The roots of this passage are really, really deep, and they're deep in the Hebrew Scriptures. They're deep in the Old Testament. And so I'm touching and, and nipping a couple of different things that all are very, very important, but I don't have time to swim down that far with you, okay? But the thing I want you to know is when he says, I'm proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor, he's talking about a concept known as the Jubilee year. He's talking about the, this idea that God had set up in his people Israel that they had a certain economic system. And the feature of their economic system was on a seven-year rotation and a year... <laughs> and a seven-seven-year rotation, however seven times seven is. I don't remember how many years that is. I don't do math. <clears throat> Here's the idea. Do your business. Be fair, but do your business. But every seven years, I need you to understand this, every seven years, your debt is canceled. And nobody works the land for seven years. And any slaves that you happen to have, those guys all go free. So... You can six years do do your business like normal, but understand that the seventh year everything's going to stop and we're going to reset again. Why? Because it's my land. Why? Because I'm the one who blessed you with these gifts. Why? Because it still belongs to me and you're my people. So he's saying, look, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and, and it's this jubilee concept, which is 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 fascinating idea, and and the grace of God that's shown in this these Old Testament passages is impeccable, and I don't think the Israelites ever did it. There's no record they ever did. Because can you imagine, like you're you're getting ready to take out a loan for a field or whatever in the sixth year, and you know that in the seventh year all the debts are going to be canceled. Like everybody's trying to buy a field in year six, right? This is a free field, right? There were some practical implications to how it worked, but, but, but like this is the thing that Jesus said and came, I'm, I'm here to proclaim this. And actually, when God put the nation of Israel in time out, he sent them into captivity, he timed their captivity with the number of jubilees that they had missed, that they had skipped. They were in there for 70 years. Why? Because they had missed 70 jubilee years. This, the land's going to rest. I'm going to give it the rest that I planned for it to have. So you go to time out, the land will rest, and then when you're done, then we can come back and we'll try again. All right? That's all the background that I have time to give you because there are other things that are important to talk about. <clears throat> I will say this too because I feel like it's, it's necessary. And I'm going to read this so that I don't misspeak. The Bible has been used as we're talking about slavery and, 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 and setting captives free. The Bible has been misread to justify atrocious sin against human beings across history. And American colonial slavery is not remotely representative of the slavery described in the Bible and was it excusable. So as, as we think about slavery, understand that our cultural baggage, what slavery is, does not get transposed into when the Bible talks about how slaves worked because it was a different economic system. And I don't have time to get into all of it. But if I've piqued your interest with that, let me refer you to somebody else. Um, down the street is a church called Good News. They're a great church. I love the guys that are down there. Isaac Johnson, one of the associate pastors there, preached a sermon last year. Um, and the title of the sermon is Serve Well. And it's part 10 of their series called Guard the House, which is a series through 1 Timothy. He goes into the ins and outs of slavery. Um, and I'll, I'll say, too, he's a black guy. So if you're looking for a different perspective, a biblical perspective on American colonial slavery and how it relates to the Bible, go listen to that sermon. It's on Good News Church's website. Um, and I can give you all that information if you're interested. We good? Excellent. 
<clears throat> Let's continue reading, because there's some more developments to develop. Is this not Joseph's son? Verse 23, And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, <clears throat> there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a widow, a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. <clears throat> so, uh, here's another instance where this spring is really deep, and I'm going to have to summarize some things in the Old Testament so that you can understand what Jesus said. Because he struck a nerve, right? When, when, he start, when he finishes his sermon, and they're like, all right, let's, let's get you out of here. We're going to chuck you off this hill. Um, and Nazareth is built up. It's really interesting. It's built up on top of a hill, and it's kind of a bowl. So it's a, a, a bowl on top of a mountain. So they throw him off. Like, it's, it's great. Anyway. They're going to throw him off this cliff and then this thing. So what is it that he referred to? He said, hey, there's, there were a ton of widows back when Elijah was around. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet. And there's this big famine that went on for years and years and years and years. And, and here's this thing. The Jews were, were so keyed in on, like, we're God's special people. God takes care of us. And Jesus says, hey, look, there were tons of widows in Israel. Because it was a bad famine. But Elijah the prophet didn't go to any of them. He went outside of Israel, actually across the Philistine borders, to pagans who worshipped a different god. And there he provided help for a widow who had nothing left to eat. If you're interested to read the story and you want to write it down, it's in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 18, or verses 8 through 24. 1 Kings 17. He walks up to this widow. And, and he says, hey, can you give me a piece of, can you give me something to eat? And she's like, well, I can, uh, but this is all the dough I have left. I have nothing left to eat. Me and my son are going to die. And so she shares what she has, and he says, actually, just keep using that dough. It's not going to run out. And so she's sustained. But she's not a child of God. She's not somebody who went to church on Sunday. Her, her, her rituals and her religion was a different one than the, than the one that Israel had inherited. Jesus says, yeah, there were plenty of widows that were starving to death in Israel, but Elijah didn't go to them. And then he, and then he goes to another prophet, actually this next prophet that was in, in the land was Elisha. Elijah and Elisha, they're actually different dudes, it's a little bit confusing. But with Elisha, um, he had a really interesting... Uh, story where there was a commander of a foreign army, the army of Syria. His name was Naaman, and he had done a whole bunch of defeating and beating up people and all this kind of stuff, but he was a leper. He had skin disease. His skin would fall off, and it's not real clear exactly what the thing was, <clears throat> but he heard through a servant girl who got kidnapped out of Israel, which means the invading army had 
taken captives in Israel. One servant girl had gone back. She said, hey, there's a prophet in Israel that he could heal you. So the invading army comes back and, and with their commander and, and is like, hey, like we hear that you can hear us or that you could heal this guy. And he's like, well, yeah, go wash in the river. No, 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 he doesn't even say it. He doesn't even say it, get this. He sends his servant out. He doesn't come out to meet the guy. He just sends a servant out and says, hey, go wash in the river seven times. And the dude is mad. He's like, what do you mean wash? I've got, I've got better rivers back home than you guys have here. Your river's dirty and disgusting. I don't want to bathe in that river. What do you mean? And somebody just says, oh, well, I mean, you came all this way. He's a good prophet. You should probably do what he says. And so he goes and he washes and he's cured of his leprosy. But he wasn't a child of God. He wasn't even nice to the people of God. There are a lot of people suffering in Israel, but, those, but Elisha, the prophet of Israel, was not sent to them to heal them. He was sent somewhere else. So they're coming at him saying, look, you're Joe's boy. Like, you're a nice guy. We, we like, you know, you seem to have a different perspective on the scripture. And he says, look, like, I don't want you to miss this. Just because you're Jewish, just because you go to church on Sunday, just, or go to synagogue on Saturday, just because you've got your life cleaned up and you come from the right family, you have the right background, don't think that you're right with God. Because God does things outside of the purview of what you've got yourself so closed in and focused on. His grace extends to those who have faith, not just those who have the right pedigree. Jesus' good news are for those who are eligible through faith by his grace. So when I look at Jesus' good news and I say, like, am I a, a poor person? Like, monetarily, financially, I'm not. And I can't answer that question for each of us here. But I know most of us drove here this morning. And I know none of us are really concerned about getting dragged out today. So what is, what is, what is the good news for us? Those who are eligible through faith by His grace. What does that mean that we have to see? I'm going to it's like a closed box, and I'm trying, to, I'm trying to pry it open so you can see into the heart of it. And the kids got it real quick. They're, I think they were cheating. <clears throat> Are you poor in heart? Do you come to God and say, like, God, I really, I just need some help. Like, you know, I've got, my life is okay. I'm a pretty decent person. Um, I, can you just help me out with this or that? Or, like, will you take care of this bill over there, please, God? Like, I just, I just, just give me a little help. I'm okay. Or are you somebody who says, God, I have nothing to give you. Like, have you seen how I, how I have messed up my life? Have you seen how I get angry at people who pull in at the gas station and steal my pump? Like, there is, there is rage in my heart towards people I don't even know and haven't even done anything offensive to me. That's a story from me this week. God, that's in me. You can't, you can't tolerate that. I'm, I'm oppressed by that. And there's folks who will just say, like, religion is a crutch for people who aren't weak enough to get through life on their own. But if you can get through life on your own, understand you won't get through the next one at all. For eligible 
for Jesus' good news by faith in his grace. Not in anything that we bring to the table. Not growing up in the right family. Not doing the right religious services. Not putting enough money in the tithing plate. Do we trust him? When he looks at us and says, yeah, I know you've never met me. I know you've never seen me in the flesh. But I'm the only one who can give you life. Do we trust him? This morning, as we go, I just have a couple of questions. Is Jesus' message for me? Am I a person who comes to God and says, I just, need, I just need a couple of things. Can you just help me out, tick these things off my list, and you treat God like he's your assistant? Or do we live as though God is God, <laughs> infinite and almighty creator of the universe? And then, will I carry Jesus' good news to those who are eligible? There's, there's a danger we run when we look at the depth of Jesus' instruction. We say, oh, he's talking about spiritual poverty. There's a risk that we run that we over-spiritualize the words of Jesus and we neglect the actual thing that he said, too. We could, we could, we could say, oh, he's just talking about the spiritually blind, the people who don't get it. And I, I, I could be tempted to lean in that direction, except that he actually healed blind people. And so Jesus' message of good news, the people who are eligible for that are the financially poor and the oppressed and those who are imprisoned and those who are physically ill. It's good news for them. And so will I carry his good news to them? Let's pray together. God, there's, we've, 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 we've covered a lot. <laughs> you packed a lot in here. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would, would, would bring clarity for the saints who are here. God, that their heart would latch on to the truth of your word that you have for them this morning. And if there's anything that I've said that's simply my opinion or distracting, God, I pray that that would just be washed away, but that the truth of your word would stand true and that your spirit would be working in the hearts of these people this morning. And would your spirit be working in my heart as well? Got nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross I cling. Lord, would you make me eligible? Would you break down the arrogance and the pride that I build up in my own heart? Would you help me to trust you and the kindness that you extend? Not only to me, but to those 
who don't have the same advantages I do. It's in your name that we pray this morning. Amen.